And thank you so much for tuning in once again. It is a live show. I am your host, and I'm going to be reading your requests right now. I'm the Grey Knight. My name is Jack. And if you didn't come out to a live show, you missed us all talking. You don't get to know what famous detective Allie played uh, when she was still in high school, which has got me smiling ear to ear. Because that means both me and Allie played a famous detective in high school. Uh, and neither of us knew that until tonight. <laughs> That's amazing. No, I'm going to talk about not the high school detective that I played, but I'm going to open the show because I don't have much else to talk about. I'm going to talk about uh, one kind of fun thing and then one kind of serious thing, and then we're going to get right into it. Uh, hope everybody's well. Hope everybody's good. Doing my best. Trying to, at least, have to acknowledge right now that the tweet, the social media post, the headline, the capture of everything that I've read in the entire month of February, since it's coming to a close as of recording this, uh, that I identify the most with. Of everything I read this month, the one thing that's resonant with me is a tweet from a woman who said, I once again ask you, we're just supposed to keep working through all this? And the answer is yes. I mean, I don't have a better one, so here I am. And it's better for me than not. If I was just sitting around, then all the stuff would seem even weirder. I just don't have any commentary on it. I don't particularly have any view on it. And I also don't know shit about, like, what's, you know, what's going on economically or the military. I've, I've, I've tapped out, by and large, from reading the news. Uh, I, I did that last year for my mental health. It's been an adjustment, and it's been very good for me. You know, it leads to more pancake making, and uh, it leads to to doing more sit-ups. It leads to playing more puzzle games and discovering Wordle before it gets ruined. Ah, what a beautiful time with Wordle before it got ruined. And, I mean, this is the exact same advice I give everybody else, so I'm giving myself a real easy time with it. Uh, not only does nobody have any control over all the craziness going on in the world, it's very apparent to Daddy, you don't have to hold this belief, he won't hold it against you, uh, that even the people that allege that they have any semblance of control or even know what's going on whatsoever have no fucking clue either. So, uh, you know, hands off and focusing on myself and having a pretty good time doing it. Uh, I've basically made it through February without drinking, which I'm very proud of. Uh, it's, it's been two weeks as of recording this, uh, more or less, since my, since my last booze. I drank during the Super Bowl, which was, which was nice. I didn't watch the Super Bowl. I don't know who was playing during the Super Bowl, but I did drink during it. So that's, you know, that's a plus. Uh, I figured I could, I could walk into a, a market nearby that's fairly busy and get some beer on Super Bowl Sunday and have it be empty if I timed it right. And I, I nailed that one. So I did get some beer. But besides that, I haven't had much uh, at all. Uh, in February, I think I've had two, two, uh, two 12-packs of beer, and that's it. Feels pretty good, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, feels pretty good to be putting, that, uh, to be putting uh, some effort in on that. Another thing that I read fairly recently is with adults, obviously. And I don't know why they specified adults in this study, but they did twice. <laughs> Uh, a great way for adults 
to curb their drinking is to get more exercise, and there apparently is a pretty good correlation between drinking and exercise. And uh, the more one exercises and gets some cardio in, the less likely they are to have a craving for intoxication like alcohol. Uh, so the good news about that one is my bike has finally arrived! And if I was able to not drink for a while uh, without the bike, I'm now biking, I got that going. You might notice there's a little bit of a, just a little bit of a hitch in, in the back of my throat, a little tickle. Uh, and you'll, you may notice I'm just a little bit less energized than normal. And that's why, because I've been like a hamster on a wheel, uh, getting, getting the bike done, starting off with the, starting off with the weights, the free weights. And uh, doing one stretch after starting off with my weight posture and all that, looking in the mirror, going right. And then I cracked my neck like, Kunk, and I went like, ah! <laughs> like it was a great pop. And it was my body telling me like, this is the good stuff. Like you've really, you've really got, you know, like let's work these ligaments, daddy. Uh, so I, I, I'm feeling quite good. I gave an update not too long ago about how good it is to sleep. Uh, I don't remember when I gave that particular update, uh, but just like how good it is to sleep uh, and how nice it is not to have a huge amount of sleep hygiene uh, necessary or to, to have to focus on it or things like that. And that has really improved uh, fairly recently. I'd say the last three months or so. I I, 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 I don't know what to say besides sleep is just fucking bliss uh, these days, and I guess it was supposed to be my entire life, but it wasn't, it was a bit of a fight to get there, to sleep, to stay asleep, I had to do all this stuff, I, I was really worried, and, uh, I was very sensitive, and now I'm sleeping through, like, everything, I mean, I do have to use earplugs and shit still, but, like, I get on my back, which is apparently the best way to lay for your health and all that, I put my hands up, cat fucking comes against me, and she used to curl up into a small ball and just press herself against my left side. But these days, when I sleep, especially if I take a nap, I'll wake up fairly constantly, reach over with my, my right hand, I guess. I'm right-handed even when I'm subconscious uh, or, or semi-conscious, and I'll reach over. And the cat is in all kinds of shitty medieval lion drawing poses you know what i'm talking about like on her side obviously but like you know how they never just draw like a lion like standing straight up in the medieval crest like the lions are always like the four the four legs are always akimbo to some degree and the lion's head's like looking at almost another tapestry or something you know with its one fucking eye you can just tell like the like the lion's like heads turned to the right a little too far for the legs and shit it's like that. I'll reach over and under the blanket or on top of the blanket if it's warm enough. The cat's ass will be pressed against me. But besides that, she could be turned and flopped on either way. She could be in a circle. She could be spread akimbo. She could be in any direction. I'll reach out and I'll pet her a little bit, go back to sleep. Uh, both me and the old lady just sleeping real, real, real good, uh, snuggling in. And it just feels utterly goddamn fantastic. Uh, none of this is the good stuff, I'm realizing. This is just talking about my week because I don't have a fucking robot rescuing a dog story this week. I want one every week. I look every week. I look every week for a fun story. They're just not out there. 
So, uh, that's what I've been trying to do uh, in this period. Uh, super, super quick. Uh, it does look like I'll be able to be an outdoor kid, at least for a little while. I'm very excited about that via COVID. Uh, it does look like it's going to be fairly low transmission lines and all that. So, if you've got your vaccine, if you're masking up, yada, yada. You know, I'm planning on going outside, planning on getting some stuff done, planning on some errands that I haven't done in a while. Uh, it gives me hope. That when Nope comes out, I will actually be able to find a way to see it in theater and not be too, like, anxious or anything about it. The other the other thing I thought about was, like, what if you go and see Nope and, like, there's only a few people in the audience, but it is during a COVID outbreak? Because that'll make that the scariest fucking movie you've seen in a long time. And I'm like, that's kind of fun when you think about it in those terms, right? It's like, what if there was a, a haunted house, you know, in your city, like, that pops up a commercial haunted house and they do kill, like, one out of 10,000 people that go in. Like, you're allowed. There's the waiver. Like, no, we really got to fucking kill, like, one out of 10,000 people. It's like, fuck yeah. I will jump and scream at everything that comes out of that haunted house. You better fucking believe. It's not, it's a long shot, but it's still fucking way scarier than any other haunted house I've ever been in, you know? <laughs> oh, you're so funny. You jumped and screamed at that fucking mommy. It's just a guy in ace bandages. Yeah, and I don't know if he has a fucking box cutter. Don't you understand? Now we're talking. <laughs> they think it's scary, but it's not scary. You can totally tell who has real blood on and who doesn't. It's not really that scary. You know there would be people like that. Just ugh, just the worst, no matter what's happening. Oh, my God. You think him being on fire smelled bad? I, I tell you what. This one time... <laughs> always gotta be a one fucking upper ah uh, so the the good thing i guess now that i'm realizing that some of you won't find it as good uh i have always loved a detective uh from a fairly young age and I've I've read I, I lie sometimes and say I've read all of his books. I haven't. <laughs> but I've read nearly all of his books. And then I watched a TV show called Lost, God damn it, and it did this stupid thing that I thought was so cool and I adopted it, where one character's read every book by one of his favorite authors, but then he hasn't read one last one. And he's like, I'm saving it, so it'll be the last thing I ever read. Cause that's his ox hunt in the show. Not really. Uh, and I thought, okay, that's the coolest fucking thing I've ever heard. That's the coolest fucking thing I've ever fucking heard in my life. I'm doing that. And then, and then, like, even the show points out, like, the next season, some rando security guard's like, how do you know it'll be the last thing you ever read? <laughs> it's like, oh, fuck! How'd I not get that far? Ah, shit. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta know when you're dying for that one to fucking, that was a Carl Pinkerton move on my part. Shit. Ah, son of a bitch. So, uh, but I did kind of do it. I still have saved this, this book and I haven't read it. Uh, and I've, I've now done that with two different fucking authors. 
I now have a couple of saved ones that I'm like, well, if I'm at my lowest, I'm definitely going to pick out one of these books. Now, one of them I've talked about a lot before is Dumas. I've read a lot, a lot, a lot of Dumas. Uh, just love him. Just love his little adventure stories. They're so much fun. All of his male characters are pretty much exactly the same. It's like a JRPG, except it's the French novel version where every fucking novel is like, here's your standard white protagonist. He's going to get some equipment. And anyway, the world's now his bitch. And it's just a lot of fun over and over and over again. Uh, just just very enjoyable. But the other one that I've read a lot of, that I've read uh, just about everything of, is a detective series called Nero Wolf. And I think Nero Wolf is just one of the most fascinating and fun detective series of all times because it gets away with a simple premise. And that is, if these fucking detectives are so goddamn smart... And they're so capable of walking into a room and being like, Aha! I know who the murderer is because I smell the tobacco and the tobacco's from Persia. Bah, 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 bah. If they're really capable of doing this shit, why does it take them three to four hundred fucking pages? If they're really that observant and shit, why does it take them so long? Why do they go, Oh yes, I did notice the ring on his, on his hand the first time we met on page seven and I'm telling you now on page 280. Uh... I'm sorry, what? <laughs> you noticed it on page seven. It took. How brilliant can you fucking be? If you. I, what? Because if we didn't have that fucking detail. So there's all of this. At this point in the early 1900s, it's pretty well established with Sherlock and Perot uh, and all these other international famous detectives that are being translated into every language that's in print and, and selling all these copies. Uh, it's pretty well established. Like, well. You're going to need a little bit of a motif. You're going to need to put a little spin on it. And in the 1920s and 1930s, that's exactly what happens. This is the birth of Batman, who's walking around with a gun. This is the birth of Dick Tracy. This is the, now the criminals get hardened. And now the detectives have to fight hardened criminals and, 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 and deal with criminals who are using science to cover their tracks and uh, have political powers and influences that they have to uh, undermine who are uh, covering them up. Because Sherlock Holmes, <clears throat> to the best of my knowledge, to the best of my recollection, he never investigates a crime in which Scotland Yard is burying evidence behind him. Scotland Yard's always asking for evidence. And yet, fairly early in the 1900s, this becomes a selling point, is now the detective is working against the system. Now the facts are being obfuscated, and we don't know who to trust coming in. So there's a big switch. The detective stories get so popular and they're so big internationally for a generation or two that detectives and detective novel writers are like, well, you got to start. You can't just have a cowboy come into town anymore and solve the crime. You've got to, especially if it's a big city, if it's a big important event, you got to have something else. So this is where those new detectives in the 1920s and 30s in America really start branching out. And my personal favorite, the best way that I think somebody solved it is Nero Wolf. Nero Wolf is a man who can absolutely walk into a room, take a sniff of the air, and say, I know who did it without knowing anybody in the fucking room. And he knows who did it because he sits around reading the book day in, day out, all his life. He's in his 40s when it starts, or 50s, and again, it's the 1930s. So it's a fairly uh, early... Uh, 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 I mean, he's, he's, not, he's not a spring chicken by any standard. And he's a genius. And he's a certified genius in, in, in several ways. He's got his degrees and what have you. And so why does Nero Wolf not solve 
crimes immediately. And the an- there's twofold answer. One, he's an asshole. And not in a fun way, not in a Dr. House way, not in a cutesy or charming way. Nobody wants to be around the smug-ass, smart-ass, self-efficient Nero Wolf. The only thing that he really enjoys are growing his fucking orchids because of how difficult it is to grow an orchid and cooking his incredibly difficult to master dishes that he eats himself, uh, that he only makes for himself and never invites anybody over. The only things he's concerned about are these really, really difficult to do impossible things that he can do by himself because he finds everybody else so tedious. That's not why he's a good detective. You could still convince that asshole to come and work for you. I know. That's the TV show Castle. That's the TV sh- There's a whole fucking genre in the early 2000s called Annoy the Police. Right? That's basically what it's called. Where the whole thing is, the police need somebody, but he's just irrelevant. Or she just can't stand it. It's your bones, your castle, your ba 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 It's all these fucking shows. All these fucking series uh, where the detect Oh, Jack Reacher falls under this? Absolutely. Jack Reacher's an annoy the policer. It's a whole genre. Yeah, Lucifer, there you go. It's a whole genre. The police need this person. And also, conveniently forget that there's a murder every week. And are just totally not concerned with that at all. They're also having a lot of fun. Doesn't matter how many murders are happening. It's a murder and it's sad. Now, here's the fun part of the show. Annoy the police. That's where we're at now, right? So it's not that. You could get Nero Wolf to come with you and smell the air and tell you it was the Turkish person because of the fucking tobacco. You can get that. Except you can't with Nero Wolf because he's too fucking fat to leave his house. Literally. He's too fat. He's 400 and some... This is early 1930s. He's literally too fat... And he's totally agoraphobic. That's why he got too fat. They don't say agoraphobic because they don't really have an understanding of psychology back then. But he's too fat to leave his house. He hates people that much. So the whole reason why I think the series works so well and I enjoy it so much is he has a man. His man is Archie. And Archie does it for the money, doesn't particularly love Nero, respects Nero, doesn't particularly love or admire or enjoy Nero Wolf. Does it for the money. He's the leg man. And Archie's kind of simple. And Nero sends Archie, who's our narrator, usually speaking, to us because he's an everyday man. And Archie goes to the crime scene. And Archie investigates. And then he takes everything he learns back to Nero, who, because he doesn't respect or give a shit about Archie, just goes, aha, hmm, yes. When Archie's reading him back all the information. So Nero solves the crime, but he doesn't have proof and he can't answer anybody, he can't interrogate any witness, so he has to keep dispatching Archie. So the whole mystery is, what the fuck is this Nero Wolf asshole fucking figuring out that we're not? What, what was important about what that interview is? Okay, Archie noticed that the, the propane tank had a melted top and Nero goes, aha, what does that fucking mean? Why does the melted top on the propane tank mean anything, Nero? Asshole. But he's not going to tell Archie. Archie's his employee that he then dispatches again. <laughs> well, I just love these stories so much. And the reason why I think it's kind of an exciting thing is there's something called public domain. Uh, public domain is when you write something and you create something, and then after a certain period of time... 
uh, it just enters into the public domain. Anybody can use it, the title, the characters, the situation, anything you've written, and they can do it without any royalty, without your permission, they can alter it. Sherlock Holmes, not so long ago, entered the public domain. Which is why there's a million fucking Sherlock Holmes things now. He's world famous. Everybody knows him. And you don't have to pay anybody to use his name. You can do Sherlock's smarter younger brother. Sherlock's younger sister. Sherlock's cousin who hit his head against the wall. Sherlock babies. You can do it all. Sherlock babies. Get into the ADD medication. Sherlock babies. Hannah kind of Baskerville is a cute little puppy. I'm working on it. <laughs> yeah, Sherlock Holmes in the 22nd century is a thing, and so is the Phantom. The Phantom also went forward. I like it when they take a detective or a creature or, 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 or something, and they're like, okay, well, that's really old, so send it to the future. That's why I wanted Jeepers Creepers to be the best franchise of all time, even though it wasn't. Because the base of the franchise is the creature only wakes up every 23 years. So you have to fucking go, you either have to go with muskets or lasers eventually. When you're, you make enough Jeepers Creepers movies, you have to fucking, it's either spaceships or fucking flint knives eventually. And I'm like, I want it. I want it bad. <laughs> I absolutely want to see the cavemen versus the Jeeper. I want to see the Jeeper Creeper in the year 2400 where people have like, the ability to teleport and disintegrate shit with their mind and they're still running from the Jeepers Creepers fucking thing. <laughs> Jeepers Creepers. Why we don't watch 2000s horror movies and we skip straight from the 90s to 2010s in this fucking house. Straight from the 90s to the 10s. Anyways, Nero Wolf is going to become public domain uh, in the year 2030, and I just think that's one of the most interesting things. Is he going to become famous? Is he going to become like a big uh, star like Sherlock? No, he's not. But I think it's one of the coolest things. Uh, public domain's working again in our lifetime, and every year on January 1st, big famous stories now enter. And so stuff that you know, even though you may not really know that you know it, like the Little Mermaid and shit, suddenly stuff like that becomes uh, as classic and people do as many interpretations and everybody has their own favorite uh, part of it uh, going on. Okay, so I just thought that was nice and I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, and then I said something that's uh, not, not, not so nice. Uh, ah, fuck it. Uh... Part of the show is going to be very fun for people listening after the fact. Uh, you can't have that air. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, I'm not prepared. You know, it's a very funny thing. Um, I'm supposed to feel horribly self-conscious and uh, embarrassed, and normally I would. But again, we've all been through such such things lately that the idea that this would uh, embarrass me in any way, shape, or form is just patently hilarious at this point. Uh, I now totally understand why old people are just, have always been my hero. Because the fact that they will just sit around and, and just flip you off for looking at them, 
that's that's what life's really all about and it took them their whole life to get there it takes them their whole life to get there and i you know i'd like to think in perhaps a self-aggrandizing way i got there a little bit earlier than most which i've always thought was a huge blessing and then just every day in every way people can accept that attitude more and more by me so uh, I do want to further and embrace that. <laughs> the i the idea that, uh, <clears throat> in all seriousness, there is a lot going on and weighing on a lot of people's shoulders, and I see it and I hear it, and I'm hearing a lot of anxiety and I'm hearing a lot of jokes that are fairly. Uh, dark and fairly myopic. I don't mean that word in a pejorative way, but I can't think of another off the top of my head. Apologies. They are self-concerned with that terror. And as somebody who is not in any way tried to hide those things and even broadcast them to his own detriment and all the rest, I just want to assure you that there's nothing wrong with you. The way that you feel, I've talked about this before, but really right now I just want to get the message out there before we get into poetry. The way that you feel about you is complicated right now because information coming in is complicated. And so I don't want any of you to feel like you're a hypocrite for surviving and doing what you have to to survive. I don't want you to feel like you're letting yourself down like you're not being your best self, like you're not doing self-care, like everybody else has the plan figured out. I really don't want you to engage in these feelings or these thoughts in any way that you can negate them. I know I'm having trouble myself. The last two weeks, I've had to put my head on my pillow, and I haven't had any booze to knock any of the thoughts out, and I've had to just deal with them while going to sleep. And it's a legitimately a frustrating time to be doing that in my life uh, with everything going on outside of my control right now. So I have nothing but empathy, nothing but sympathy for the rest of you out there and how you're feeling, how you're doing with all this. You show me incredible amounts of grace and support, and especially when my mental health is not so good, you have. I just want to say, return it to yourself. Return it to one another, your friends, your loved ones, where you see it. There is an incredible emotional and energy insecurity within people right now. Just right now. Get by, limp, it'll start feeling normal and good again. I know that's dumb and awful, but honestly, it will. You will adjust, and you'll do good. Okay, I think that's enough grandstanding for one uh, one podcast at least. Oh, you're not here for any of that anyway. I read your requests, at least that's what it says on the ethereal door, so that's probably what I should do. A. How easily happiness begins by dicing onions. A lump of sweet butter slithers and swirls across the floor of the saute pan, especially if its errant path crosses a tiny slick of olive oil. Then, a tumble of onions. 
This could mean soup or risotto or chutney, from the Sanskrit chitney, to lick. Slowly the onions go limp, and then, ooh, the carous, and then what cookbooks call clear, though if they were eyes, you could see clearly the cataracts in them. It's true that if you make you weep, if you peel them, to unfurl and to tease from that taut ball first the brittle caramel color and the decrepit papery outside layer, the least recent, the reticent onion wrapped around its glowing body, for there's nothing to an onion but skin. And it's true, you can go on weeping, or you can go in through the moist middle skins, the sweetest and thickest, and you can go on into the core, to the bud-like, acrid, fibrous skins densely clustered there, stocky and incomplete. And there are the most pungent, like the nuggets of nightmare and rage and murmuring animal comfort that infant humans secrete. There is the best domestic perfume. You sit down to eat with a rumor of onions and still your twice-washed hand to lift to your mouth a hint of the story about loam and unusual endurance. It's there when you clean and rinse the wine glasses and make a joke and you leave the minutest whiff of it in the light swirls later when you climb the stairs. <laughs> onions! By William Matthews, who does not cook with onions and ladies does not do the dishes. <clears throat> Mine, says the cat, pulling out his paw of darkness. My lover, my friend, my slave, my toy, says the cat, making you on your chest his gesture of drawing milk from his mother's forgotten breast. Let us walk in the woods, says the cat. I'll teach you to read the tabloid of sense, the fade into the shadows, wait like a trap. Tunt. Now I lay this plump, warm mouse on your mat. You feed me, I try to feed you, we are friends, says the cat. Although I'm more equal than you. Can you leap twenty times your height? Can you run up and down trees? Jump between roofs? Let us rub our bodies together and talk of touch. My emotions are pure as salt crystals and as hard. My lusts glow like my eyes. I sing to you in the mornings, walking round and round your bed and into your face. Come, I will teach you to dance as naturally as falling asleep and waking up stretching long, long, long. I speak greed with my paws and fear with my whiskers. Envy lashes my tail. Love speaks my entire a word of fur. I will teach you to be still as an egg and to slip like a ghost of the wind through the grass. The Cat's Song Marge Piercy If I must worry about how I will live in my old age without wealth, I would be without health now, and how could I live to be old? If I must worry about how I will live in my old age without love, I would be without dreams now, 
and how could I go on living another day? Allow me to sit in the sun and listen to the sky. I will love you gently. Allow me to stay in my room and weave my rainbows. I will love you truly. Like a colt in the meadow with no boundary, allow me to wander around till I hear the autumn stealthily strolling by my door. I will be waiting to be with you then. Allow Me by Chung Mi Kim, C-H-U-N-G-M-I-K-I-M. Very good, very interesting. <clears throat> I'm wondering if that's, you know, American or if that's translated. With the last name Kim, I'm wondering if that's, you know, a translation. Hmm. <laughs> American, I meant English. Don't hurt me. I love you like a kitty cat. Don't hurt me. <clears throat> I made love to her on paper and spilled ink like passion across the sheets. I caressed her curves in every love letter. I kissed up and down her thighs in short sentences and prose. I tasted all her innocence without a spoken word. I bit her lip and pulled her hair in between the lines. I made her arch her back and scream. It only took a pin. Erotica by STP. Is that Stone Temple Pilots? I don't know that song. Is that Stone Temple Pilots? STP? It's the only STP I can think of besides the oil company. Hold on, hold on. You're going to hear tabbing. STP oil, right? STP oil. Yes, STP is the oil. Okay. All right. <laughs> Had to make sure. No, they're STPs. Boy, that's the wrong kind of oil. Imagine bringing, imagine some dude hears that he's supposed to lubricate a woman and he brings motor oil with a 30 weight. <laughs> well, then what do they mean by going whole hog? Okay. <clears throat> Masons. When they start upon a building, are careful to test out the scaffolding. Make sure the planks won't slip at busy points. Secure all ladders. Tighten bolted joints. And yet all this comes down when the job's done, showing off walls of sure and solid stone. So if, my dear, there sometimes seems to be old bridges breaking between you and me, never fear. We may let the scaffolds fall confident that we have built our wall. Scaffolding, Seamus Henny. That's so funny that he turns out to be fucking... <laughs> fucking named Seamus the whole way through. I don't know why I was thinking of Hadrian's Wall. I don't know why. That's just so fucking funny. I saw Seamus. I started laughing. <laughs> Hadrian's Wall. Look it up. Okay. <clears throat> At lunchtime, I bought a huge orange. The size of it made us all laugh. 
I peeled it and shared it with Robert and Dave. They got quarters. I got half. And the orange, it made me so happy, as ordinary things often do just lately. The shopping, a walk in the park. This is peace and contentment. It is new. The rest of the day was quite easy. I did all the jobs on my list and enjoyed them and had some time left over. I love you. I'm glad I exist. Wow. The Orange by Wendy Cope or Coop, C-O-P-E. Spelled Cope, but something tells me it's pronounced Coop. This is everything I have to tell you about love. Nothing. This is everything I have to tell you about marriage. Nothing. Only that the world out there is complicated, and there are beasts in the night, and delight in pain, and the only thing that makes it okay, sometimes, is to reach out a hand in the darkness and find another hand to squeeze. And not be alone. I see I see this poem's gonna be fighting with the other poem about love. Okay. Here we go. Let's see who wins. Okay. All right. <clears throat> it's not the kisses, or never just the kisses, it's what they mean. Somebody's got your back. Somebody knows the worst self and somehow wants to rescue you or send for the army to rescue them. It's not two broken halves becoming one. It's the light from a distant lighthouse bringing you both safely home, because home is wherever you are both together. So this is everything I have to tell you about love and marriage. Nothing! Like a book without pages or a forest without trees, because they are things you cannot know before you experience them. Because no study can prepare you for the joys or the trials. Because nobody else's love, nobody else's marriage is like yours. And it's a road you can only learn by walking it. A dance you cannot be taught. A song that did not exist before you began together to sing. And because the darkness you will reach out a hand, not knowing for certain if someone else is even there, and your hands will meet, and then neither of you will ever need to be alone again. And that's all I know about love. All I Know About Love by Neil Gaiman To find this kiss of yours, what would I give a kiss that strayed from your lips, dead to love? My lips taste the dirt of shadows to gaze at your dark eyes. What I would give. Dawns of rainbow garnet fanning open before God, the stars blinding them, one morning in May. And to kiss your pure thighs, 
what would I give? Raw rose crystal, sediment of the sun. To find a kiss of yours, Frederico Garcia Lorca, L-O-R-C-A. <laughs> you are like me. You will die too. But not today. You incommiserate, therefore the hours shine. If I say to you, to you I say, you have not been set to music or broadcast live on the ghost radio, may never be on an oil painting or an old master's charcoal sketch. You are a concordance of person, number, voice, and place. Strawberries spread through your name as if it were building shrubs. How you remind me of some spring. The waters are cool and clear. Late rain clings to your leaves, shaken by light wind, which is where you occur in grassy moonlight. You are a lily, an aster, white trillium or vibranium. By all rights, mine. White star in the meadow sky, the snow still arriving from its earthward's journeys. Here, where there is no snow. I dreamed the snow was you when there was snow. You are my right, have come to be my night. Your body takes on the dimensions of sleep. The shape of sleep becomes you. And you fall from the sky with several flowers. Words spill from your mouth in waves. Your lips taste like the sea, salt, sweet. Trees and seas have flown away. I call it loving you. Home is nowhere, therefore you, a kind of dwell and welcome, a song after all, and free of any Eden we can name. You, therefore, by Reginald Shepard. I thought that was just a Regina Spector song without music. Guess I was wrong. That was a bad joke because that was like 10,000 more words than Regina Spector's used in all of her songs combined. She's got, she's got choruses that are just the word you. Just saying. Okay. All right. Fine, Regina Spector fans, I, I see you. <laughs> I've always wondered if Regina Spector and the guy from Disturbed who would ooh, ah, 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 had a child, do you think it would be able to speak entirely in tones that we could not hear or understand? Just food for thought. It's neither red nor sweet, doesn't melt or turn over, break or harden, so it can't feel pain, yearning, regret. It doesn't have a tip to spin on, it isn't even shapely, just a thick clutch of muscle, lopsided, mute. 
Still, I feel it inside its cage, sounding a dull tattoo. I want, I want, but I can't open it. There is no key. I can't wear it on my sleeve or tell you from the bottom of it how I feel. Here, it's all yours now. But. You'll have to take me too. Heart to Heart, by Rita Dove. Well, I have to say, Rita, that was pretty cute. I didn't get what you were saying until the end. You got me. Today, when persimmons ripen. Today, when foxkit come out of their den. Into the snow today, when the spotted egg releases its wren song. Today, when the maple sets down its red leaves. Today, when the windows keep their promise open. Today, when the fire keeps its promise to warm. Today, when someone you love has been born, or someone you will not meet has been born. Today, when the rain leaps and waiting roots in their dryness. Today, when a starlight bends to the roofs of the hungry and the tired. Today, when When someone sits on long inside his last sorrow. Today, when someone steps into the heat of the first embrace. Today, let the light bless you. With these friends, let it bless you. With snow scent and lavender, bless you. Let the vow of this day keep itself widely and wholly spoken and silent. Surprise you inside your ears, sleeping and waking, unfold itself inside your eyes. Let its fierceness and tenderness hold you. Let its vastness be undisguised in all your days. A blessing, Jane Hirschfield. That. Is where you say, Daddy, your voice sounds so fucking good, and you send in those requests and all that support and all that stuff. Because that poem was real interesting meter-wise, and I fucking nailed that one. And I know I was making some bodies jump up the way I was doing that today at the beginning. So even I'm a little... All right, we got a couple of poems left. Let's get through them since I've already daily-dallied now. Marriage is not a house. Or a vent. Well, well, uh, uh, see, I got too fucking full of myself. My ego got too swelled. And then I couldn't even read the words on the screen. See? I have to look away, close my eyes, just for a second, and reset. I got too full of myself, and my mind's all like, we don't need to read the words. We just talk, and it's poetry. <laughs> I give myself an inch. I take all of Ukraine. All right. Okay. Marriage is not a house or even a tent. It is before that and colder. The edge of the forest, the edge of the desert, the unpainted stairs at the back where we squat outside eating popcorn. The edge of the receding glacier where painfully and with wonder we have survived even this far. We are learning to make fire. 
God damn, she's so good. Habitation, Margaret Atwood. Fuck you, Maggie. Save some for the rest of us, huh? Ah, she's just always eating muse, never even passing it over to the rest, huh? God damn it. (laughs) Always for the first time. Hardly do I know you by sight. You return at some hour in the night to a house at an angle to my window. A holy imaginary house. Is it there that from one second to the next, in the involatile darkness, I anticipate once more the fascinating rift occurring, the one and only rift. In the facade of my heart, the closer I come to you in reality, the more the key sings at the door of the unknown room. Where you appear alone before me, at first you coalesce entirely with brightness, the elusive angle of a curtain. It's a field of jasmine I gazed upon at dawn on a road in the vicinity of grass. With a diagonal slant of its girls picking behind the dark falling wings of the plants stripped bare before them, a T-square of dazzling light, the curtain invisibly raised in a frenzy. All of the flowers swarm back in. It is you at grips with that too long hour, never dim enough until sleep, you as though you could be. The same, except that I shall perhaps never meet you. You pretend not to know I am watching you marvelously. I am no longer sure you know. Your idleness brings tears to my eyes. A swarm of interpretations surround each of your gestures. It's a honeydew hunt. There are rocking chairs on the deck. There are branches that make well scratch you in the forest. There's a shop window in Rue Notre-Dame de l'Autre. Two lovely crossing legs caught in long stockings, flaring out in the center of a great white clover. There is a silken ladder rolled out over the ivy. There is, by my leaning over the precipice, of your presence and your absence in hopeless fusion. My finding the secret of loving you. Always, for the first time. Always, for the first time, by Andre Brenton. Whew! lot going on there, Andre. You know, you you can just say that she's hot. I I don't want to tell a poet what to do. Do you women find it attractive when a man says all the things that he's feeling for you in a really big poetic way? Just think that over and then give me an answer as I read this last poem. Don't answer right now. Like, if a man, like, really, he's not showing you, he's not telling you, he's not doing something, do you really find it romantic and interesting when a man says, 
like that last poem. Oh, I feel all these incredible... Don't... I mean, I'm not saying them, and I'm not doing it, but I feel all these super incredible things. Like, oh, you have no idea. There's precipices and shit. There's like, there's like vortex and stuff, man. <clears throat> well, my God. No, 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 no. Nope, we read this. That was the last poem. Somebody, uh, somebody submitted the uh, the Rita Dove uh, poem twice. Uh, I think. Don't don't apologize if you did nothing wrong. I was like, oh, this is gonna be interesting because this one's also about how it's not read. I'm like, oh, it's the same one. Damn it. All right, that's poetry. That's poetry. So give me your fucking answer if you like men talking about how they have hidden emotions. Because my interpretation is you do. <laughs> My interpretation is you do and that it's a limited ticket punch. That a man gets like five to ten of those a year and that's about it. You know, like the Borg. You guys know the Borg from Star Trek The Next Generation? Like all romantic, uh, like all romantic metaphors, the Borg. The way that you fight the Borg is you have to come up with something new every time. Uh, you, you get one, maybe two uses against something against the Borg, and then the Borg adjusts to it and no longer affects them. They're invulnerable to it. You can't fucking, you gotta modulate that shit. Same thing with women. You can be like a man and, like, not do the dishes and, like, you know, quote-unquote, forget to contribute the amount of money you're supposed to do the household while you buy a PlayStation 5 game or two, you know. You can, you can, you can do that shit and then, like, we all, like, but there within me, under the surface, there is a succumbing sublimeness when I look at you. There is an incredible force, the water undercurrents, what it pulls down. And that works. Once a month, that works. You, if you could do that every day, you would. I promise there would be more poets. If that if that's if you could poet your way into a woman happily mopping the fucking kitchen for you every day, you don't think there would be more poets? You think all these fucking dude bros just love stock and crypto that much? You think they all just love it? They woke up one day and they're like, Oh no, I just love business and finance that much. Ah, oh, like everything in the world, that's the one thing that I get all hard for with my spiky frosted hair. No, not at all. It's what they can get out of it. If you could, if you could just write one sonnet a day every fucking day and get everything you wanted out of it, you better fucking believe it. Somebody be making sonnet bot 12,000. Wouldn't even have to do the work just every day. Hit the enter key. Boom. That's how I feel about you. Do one do one fucking weekend of work to find every rhyme scheme in the English language that you can with you, thine, her, <laughs> all of them. Just every fucking feminine pronoun that you can fucking think of. All of it. Get it in there. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> this probably isn't the greatest segue uh, into love letters, I'm realizing, just, uh, before I, <laughs> it's a, it's a strange, it's a strange emotional show, I'll, I'll give you that, 
I don't know what I'm supposed to talk about to give you guys a good time. And to just, when you don't talk about it, it's just surreal. Uh, the movie that keeps coming to mind, even though it's it's very improper, but the movie that keeps coming to mind to me today, like, what's my role today? What's my role in this world? Uh, you know, how do I, I, I do a mental health check every single time I wake up, which is twice a day at least. <laughs> I do sleep in shifts. Uh, I've read that more and more people are doing that, at least in America. The studies come in and saying more and more people are going back to quote-unquote medieval sleep. Well, they'll sleep between two and four hours and then twice. More and more people are getting back to that level of sleep. And there are some people that argue that it is a very natural circadian rhythm. Uh, now, if you're one of those people who, if you wake up from a nap and it's light out, and for five to ten minutes you feel panic and groggy, this is not the sleep formula for you. If you wake up from naps all sweaty and confused and disoriented, and you're like, ah, ah, my mouth hurts, then this is not for you. If that's what, whenever somebody describes naps like that, I'm like, oh, you've really revealed a lot about what you think the rest of us experience. Because some of us can just curl into a corner in like any fucking position or whatever and just conk out. And then wake up 20 minutes later, not know what time it is, and be like, hooray. Oh, that was fantastic. All right, let's figure out what else is going on. And that's who, you know, the medieval fucking sleep is for. I'm reading about all of this stress and all of the effects it's having. And I don't really know what to talk about or how to, like, relate it to you. So the movie that I keep thinking about, because it connects to all of it, is fucking Cabaret. Have you ever seen Cabaret? Have you ever seen the play or the movie or the musical Cabaret? If you don't know the story Cabaret, there's two movies where if you didn't know what they were about, you'd have no fucking clue what the movie was about. And those two movies came out pretty close together. They are Swiss Family Robinson. No, sorry. The Sound of Music. Whoops. The Sound of Music and Cabaret. Both of these movies come out with a pretty short period of time of one another. And both of them... You would never have any fucking clue what the movies are fucking about if you just looked at the pop culture representations of these movies. You would have no fucking clue. But that's what it feels like because you got to put on a show. And you got to keep going. And life is what you manage in between. It's not survival in the time of Chlora. It's love in the time of Chlora. That's the classic that survived. Hmm. So, I just want to just say, as somebody who's trying to do his best on the cabaret stage, I get the recognition. My feelings have no, no real short stopping point. I have the incredible, incredible well to draw upon that I think so few people do that I know at any given time there's pretty much always somebody out there that would listen to me. Like, really listen to me. I have somebody, I have enough people and I have enough people close and enough people that care about me that at any given time, if something was bad, I could reach out and ask them to listen to me. And that's much more valuable than them actually doing it. To me, everybody, everybody's mileage varies. But to me, having it and knowing it's there and the security of it 
is so much better than actually taking advantage of it. A lot of people don't have anything like that. And I just want to say to you, as we you know, try and have a good time with everything going on, on a personal level, I'm not freaked out. I'm not hiding anything. I'm not beneath the surface an anxious meth who's just barely here. Uh, I am, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you, checked out. I want to make my pancakes, my Dutch babies. I want. I, I, they were fun to call Dutch babies for a while, but now I've typed it out too many times, and you don't have to capitalize pancake. So we're, I'm going back to calling them pancakes. <laughs> fuck, fuck even calling them German pancake. They're just pancakes. I just make them in a cast iron skillet. Do I call them cast iron skillet pizzas? No. Do I call them Dutch pizzas? No. Call them pizzas. I make them in a cast iron skillet. Guess what, assholes? They're pancakes. <laughs> I am pretty checked out. And I'm doing it for my own mental health reasons. Uh, so that's that's just where I'm at. And I feel like it's important to talk about it and just relate that, even though there's no big news or big confession or anything like that. Just talk about the mental health shit in the middle of the good time and know that other people are doing it well. What's my reaction to it? I can't read the fucking news right now. I'm a news junkie, and I can't really read the fucking news right now because it's all just a ball of nope. Do you know what a katamari is? A K-A-T-A-M-A-R-I? A katamari is a ball of whatever is around, and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger because it just grabs more and more of whatever's around it. It's like a like a little black hole rolling around, and it picks up more and more. These days, the information coming in feels like a katamari that started in a truck stop bathroom. It just it's just all kinds of dirty, gross shit compiling on one another. Able to grow more and more and more. That's how it all fucking feels. It's real, real fucked up. (laughs) And therefore, I just want to say my reaction is, I got a new fucking video game I'm all excited about. I, I... I made plans to make batches of food so I had to cook every couple of days, knowing I I wasn't going to have a tremendous amount of energy uh, coming up. I got all the fucking, like, exercise equipment in. Uh, I cut booze because when I drink, I cry into my beer sometimes when I'm stressed. I don't want to do that. So these these are the ways that I'm getting by and trying to float up. And I hope just hearing that person to person, however you're doing it, However, the people you care about in your life are doing it. Whatever grace you need to give yourself, do it. You hear me? Whatever grace you need to give yourself, do it. Okay, back to the fucking show, baby. (laughs) I don't know why I stopped to talk about or do any of that. It doesn't do anybody any fucking good. No one ever since... Don't do it this time either. Don't fucking do it this week either, because I won't fucking believe you for sure i never like take the time to do so and have somebody somebody must be like you're so nice and you're you you checking in and you talking about yourself it gives me so never 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 fucking happen and i mean i don't ever write anybody that's ever affected me so i i mean i don't actually know that but like on another level it's like never i don't know i don't i i, I get it because again 
I've never written in somebody who's deeply affected me ever once and been like, hey, that thing that you, that, that comedy bit that you did uh, and the little bit about slapping people and telling them to get on the plane in the middle of the, of the crisis, that's okay to, sl- you know, you're against violence and yelling at people, but it's okay to slap someone and say, get on the plane in the middle of a crisis. I just want to say that was very meaningful and I probably, uh, it stopped some suicidal thoughts that I had. Thank you. No. I don't know how that fucking... What? Sending that to some stand-up comic or something? Like, what the fuck? No, I get it. Don't think I'm complaining. I'm not asking for it. I'm just saying out loud, you do it, and then you feel all vulnerable and shit, and, like, you know, somebody's crying or something in the quarter, and you're just like, okay, well, I, you know, we gotta... We still have to close up shop. Like, if this was a physical shop, we still have to make the orders and then close up fucking food and shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is, we still got some show left to go. So why do I do it? And the answer is the same reason why I do everything else. I have no fucking clue or plan whatsoever. Love letters. Dear Anna, did I say that the human might be filled into categories? Oh, my God. Well, and if I did, let me qualify. Not all humans. You elude me. I cannot place you, cannot grasp you. I may boast that of nine out of ten under certain circumstances. I can forecast their action. That of nine out of ten by their word or action, I may feel the pulse of their hearts. But of the tenth, I despair. It is beyond me. You are that tenth. (laughs) Were ever two souls with dumb lips more incurgously matched? We may feel in common, surely, we oft-times do, and when we do not feel in common, yet we do not understand, and yet we have no common tongue. Spoken words do not come to us. We are unintelligible. God must laugh at the mummery. The one gleam of sanity, though, it all is that we are both large temperamentally. Large enough to often understand. Was this written on cocaine? True, we often understand, but in a vague, glimmering ways, by dim perceptions, like ghosts. Yes, yes, it was. Which... While we doubt, haunt us with their truth. And still, I, for one, dare not believe, for you are the tenth, which I may not forecast. Am I unintelligible now? (laughs) I do not know. I imagine so. I cannot find the common tongue. Large temperamentally, that is it. It is the one thing that brings us all in touch. We have flashed through us, you and I, each a bit of universal, and we so draw together. Yet we are so different. I smile at you when you grow enthusiastic. It is an unforgivable smile, nay, Almost an envious smile. I swear there was a question mark there. That wasn't my commentary. I have lived 25 years of repression. I have learned not to be enthusiastic. It is a hard lesson to forget. I begin to forget, but it is so little. At the best, before I die, 
I cannot hope but forget all or most. I can exalt, now that I am learning, in the usual things, in other things. But of my things, of secret things doubly mine, I cannot. I cannot. Do I make myself intelligible? Do you hear my voice? I fear not. They are posers. I am the most successful of them all. Okay. All right. Now it's making a lot more sense since we got to the end of this one. Okay. All right. I was like, why would someone put this one in? Come on. You're fucking with me. And the answer is yes, they absolutely were. Okay. And so whoever to requested this, you're very, very clever. Love letter from Jack London to Anna Strunsky. Oh, oh, he was so fucking drunk. He was so fucking drunk when he was writing that. I can't find the content. Uh, anyway, the temperamentally. <laughs> so just a just a fun little note a lot of women in the Victorian period uh in America are just chock full of fucking cocaine meth or an amphetamine of some sort and lead they're just chock full of them in the gilded age of America the Victorian period there's a lot of lead in the makeup. There's a lot of lead in the jewelry. There's a lot of meth going around in the various uh, cures of uh, of the time. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of uppers, and so I just think about like all of these women out after dark who have taken naps during the day, and then they they get all this extra lead exposure. Like they really they really soak it up. They do a little coke. They go out to a party at night. You know, with all the glimmering and all the brightness and everything indoors. They go out into a veranda. Of course they fucking saw ghosts. Of course they saw fucking ghosts. How are they not seeing ghosts all the fucking time? That's the question. That's the story. Someone went to a party with all that fucking lead exposure and they didn't see a ghost? Ooh. What's happening there? <laughs> <clears throat> My dearest girl, I have been on a walk this morning with a book in my hand, but as usual, I have been occupied with nothing but you. I wish I could say in an agreeable manner, I am tormented day and night. They talk of my going to Italy. Tis certain I shall never recover if I am to be so long separate from you. Yet, with all this devotion to you, I cannot persuade myself into any confidence of you. You are to me an object intensely desirable. The air I breathe in a room empty of you is unhealthy. I am not the same to you. No, you can wait. You have a thousand activities. You can be happy without me. Any party to fill up the day has been enough. How have you passed this month? Who have you smiled with? All this may seem savage in me, 
You do not feel as I do. You do not know what it is to love. One day you may. Your time is not come. I cannot live without you. And not only you, but chaste you, virtuous you. The sun rises and sets. The day passes, and you follow the bent of your inclination to a certain extent. You have no concept of the quantity and miserable feeling that passes through me in a day. Be serious. Love is not a plaything. And again, do not write unless you can do it with a crystal conscience. I would sooner die for want of you than yours forever, Jonathan Keats. Favorite of the podcast, apparently. John Keats to Fanny Braun. I wonder when the name Fanny changed from something that you can name a woman to a vagina. <clears throat> or did it mean it back then and everyone was just fine with it? Those are the options. My love for you tonight is so deep and tender that it seems to be outside myself as well. I am fast shut up like a little lake in embrace of some big mountains. If you were to climb up the mountains, you would see me down below, deep and shining, and quite fathomless, my dear. You might drop your heart into me, and you'd never hear it touch bottom. I love you. I love you. Good night. Oh, bogey, what it is to love like this. Love Letter from Catherine Mansfield to John Murray Dearest Bunny do you know what this is? A wedding anniversary letter. I think it should arrive about on the right date. Do you remember that hot June day 33 years ago? The church jammed father with a lovely waistcoat and a small blue spots, the rough riders, the ushers in the cutaways, the crowds in the street, your long white veil, the tight little bodice, the reception of Aunt Harriet's Uncle Ed, your mother with one of her extraordinary hats that stood straight up. And do you remember that the world was then little and cozy, a different order of things? Wars were considered on the basis of a Dick De Davis novel, a sort of as-it-was-the-beginning atmosphere over life. We've come a long way down a strange road since then. 
Nothing has happened as we imagined it would except our children. We never thought we'd roam the world. We never thought our occupations and interests would cover such a range. We never thought our 33rd anniversary would find us deep in our second war and me at the front. Well, darling, we've lived up to the most important part of the ceremony, in sickness and in health, for richer and poorer. Till death do you part. Much, much love. Love Letter from Teddy Roosevelt to his wife Eleanor Oh, oh shit! We're good. I just spilled my fucking tea. That's literal, not figurative. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Every single moment that we were alive and we were together was miraculous. We knew we were beneficiaries of chance, that pure chance could be so generous and so kind that we could find each other, that we could be together for twenty years. The way he treated me, the way I treated him, the way we took care of each other and our family while he lived. That is so much more important than the idea that I will see him some day. I don't think I will ever see Carl again, but I saw him. We saw each other. We found each other in the cosmos, and that was wonderful. Anne Duyen on Carl Sagan's Skepticism of the Afterlife Antonia, I love you. Three simple words, and yet never uttered or inscribed in ink by me to another living soul. Only to you. I will never love another as I love you. I will never cherish another as I cherish you. I will always love only you. This is the happiest day of my life, for it is the day of the rest of my life, with you. Not yesterday when we were married, with witnesses in attendance, up before Parson, and reciting what others have done before us, and well do after. Me nervous, and you serene, and steadfast. I could not wait for the ceremony to be over with, and for our guests to leave. Yesterday was still getting there, but today... Now, here, just the two of us, today I am your husband, and you are my wife. It still leaves me days to write such words, for I truly believed I would never marry. And then, into my life you stepped, or should I say twirled, in your whirlwind of silks and smiles. You sleep peacefully in our bed, while I cannot sleep at all. I fear falling asleep and waking to find you gone, of finding myself alone. I am sure this is apprehension, and it will ease with every night we spend together as a married couple, 
until one night I will fall asleep with you in my arms and wake to find you still snuggled in my embrace and to think it the most natural state in all the world. But do not ever think for a moment I will take you or our marriage for granted. It is precious. Henceforth, I pledge to nurture our union for the rest of my days. You told me that once we shared a bed, you found you could no longer sleep without me. I can no longer live without you. For with you, I am truly who I am meant to be. I wonder now if I have been walking about as one dead or a specter with sight, hearing, and touch, but without the ability to feel. It is as if I have floated through life, experiencing any of it. When did I become like this? How have I walked the halls of kings in such a paralyzed state, eating without tasting, looking without seeing, touching without feeling? And all the time with a heart that was disdainful, a soul that was wasted. Until you. I have always considered my birthright a burden to be endured, and in the most arrogant of ways, I am well aware of my permanent place in this world. I am well aware of my preeminent place in the world. I owe to being conceited and vain. I have often taken without a thought to the consequence to others, and without giving freely in return. I am by nature's wary and reserved. This you know and accept. You have been in awe. Nor have you ever doubted my right to be as I am. You love me unconditionally. For that alone I am blessed. You have given me a wondrous gift. You have always been prepared to see the good in others, first and foremost, the only want the best for them. I marvel at you, find joy in living each day to the full, to look on you, to be with you, to experience life in your company, is to be complete. For you alone, I strive to be a better man, to live a better life, to know its joys and pleasures, to never disappoint you, and never will I squander a single moment of life that is left to me with you. With this letter, I enclose some lines of verse, with apologies on the 17th century poetess for taking liberties with her prose. You have been my whole heart, my body, and my soul. I am eternally yours. Renard. It's simply written Renard to Antonia, and I have to say, I don't know who these two are. So, you got me. I, I don't know who Renard and Antonia are, where they're from. After the 17th century, all I've got. I don't know anything dreadful enough to liken to you. You are a sweet forest of pleasant glades and whispering branches, where people wander on and on in its playing shadows, 
they know not how far. And when they come near the center of it, it's all cold and impenetrable. And when they would fain turn, lo, they are hedged with briars and thorns and cannot escape. You are like the bright, soft, swelling, lovely fields of high glacier covered with fresh morning snow, which is heavenly to the eye and the soft and winning on the foot. But beneath there are winding clefts and dark places in its cold, cold eyes, where men fall and rise not again. <laughs> ah, love letter from John Ruskin to Elfie Gray. And I guess one of the two of them kept it. And if I had to guess, it was John. Okay. <clears throat> Last love letter for the night, and then we'll get into some werewolf porn. Clara, how happy your last letters have made me, those since Christmas Eve. I should call, I should like to call you by the endearing epithets, and yet I can find no lovelier word than the simple one, dear. But there is a particular way of saying it. My dear one, then, I have wept for joy to think of you as mine, and often wonder if I deserve you. One would think that no one man's heart and brain could stand all of the things that are crowded into one day. Where do these thousands of thoughts, wishes, sorrows, joys, and hopes come from? Day in, day out, the procession grows, but how light-hearted I was yesterday and the day before. There shone out of your love letters so nobly a spirit, such faith, such a wealth of love. What would I not do for love of you, my own Clara? The knights of old were better off they could go through fire or slay dragons to win their ladies. But we of today have to content ourselves with more prosaic methods, such as smoking fewer cigars and the like. After all, though, we can love knights or no knights, and so, as ever, only the times change, not men's hearts. You cannot think how your letter has raised and strengthened me. You are splendid. And I have much more reason to be proud of you than you of me. I have made up my mind, though, to read all your wishes in your face. Then you will think, even though you don't say it, that your Robert is a really good sort, and that he is entirely yours, and he loves you more than words can say. You shall indeed have cause to think so in the near happy future. I still see you as you looked in your little cap that last evening. I still hear you as you call me do. Clara, I heard nothing of what you said but that do. Don't you remember? But I see you in many another unforgettable guise. Once you were in a black dress going to the theater with Amelia List. It was during our separation. I know you will now have forgotten. It is vivid with me. Another time you were walking in the, oof, Thomas Goshen, with an umbrella up 
and you avoided me in desperation. Yet another time, as you were putting on your hat after a concert, our eyes happened to meet, and yours were full of an old, unchanging love. I picture you in all sorts of ways, as I have seen you since. I do not look at you, but you have charmed me so immeasurably. Ah, I can never praise you enough for yourself or for your love of me, which I don't really deserve. <laughs> love Letter from Robert Schumann to Clara Wyke I don't know, Robbie. Kind of sounds like you're putting a lot on her. All right, guys, thank you very much. That is pretty much the show besides the werewolf porn. I'm just going to read uh, until we hit a pretty natural stopping point. Tip, a, tip away if you got them. Thank you very much for all the kind words, uh, all the support, all the requests, uh, everything else. Just if you've listened this long, you're clearly a big fan of me and all my ramblings and everything. Guys, for the first time in fucking years, I'm ahead on fucking writing, recording, uh, commissions, all of it. I'm actually ahead. For the first time in literal years. Literal fucking years. It's the first time. Long before COVID, I would say. 2018, 2017, maybe. It's the first time. I don't know how it's happening. There's, I've got no secret. There's nothing changed on this end. It's just... Sleeping is going better, eating's going better, uh, health is going better, uh, the world is goddamn falling apart, and it doesn't seem to be staggering me this time around. Who knows how long it'll last, uh, but it is going well. The one thing that I can't do, the one thing that I can't do and can't get ahead on in any way, shape, or form is podcast questions. If there's any way, especially if you're willing to send in a voice question to Allie, it means the absolute world to me. It only helps me get further and further ahead. I can only get so much further ahead without them. So if you guys like that segment and all the rest, send them in. Okay. Thank you very, very much for hearing me out there. All the support. That's it. I'm going to take a big old fucking sip of tea. The tea that I didn't spill. Yes, you thought you were safe. Didn't you? You didn't die like the rest. But then you went right down my gullet anyway. Ha 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 There is no escape for you. Mm. Mm. Ugh. You think I would have done all my stretches and everything to read the good shit instead of the bad shit? Here's the thing. It's easy to read good shit. Somebody already did the hard work. They became a writer and they spent years and years and years and years of their fucking life. That's the, that's the hard part. Reading that's easy. We've both spent years doing that shit, so that's like that's so that's you know it's like someone learned how to do math or calculations or all the rest. That's easy now. We we speak the same language. No, reading something that's shitty that's real fucking hard because you just have no idea where this fucking shit's gonna go. You know, from word to word, from sentence to sentence, you have no idea if they're like they're gonna switch perspective or like what the perspective is switching for because often it's just all like she saw me and she thought he looks so cool <sighs> Sierra that's the cutest emoji steal it for us find out who it is and steal it from me I love the night drinking tea that's cute okay <clears throat> if you don't know what I'm talking about last week at the end we read three chapters of 
The Bad Boy is a Werewolf. On to Chapter 4, which is simply titled, <clears throat> Hopes. My heart truly felt at ease, at comfort, at happiness. Zoltan's <laughs> warm hand held mine. His fingers intertwined with mine, and I seriously don't know why, but it felt comforting, soothing. He pulled... <laughs> oh, two, sen two paragraphs just beginning with dynamite sentences back to back. Here we go. He pulled he down the hallway towards my locker. Everyone stared in disbelief. Well, I wouldn't blame them. The mysterious bad boy was showing affection. <laughs> Though his face was straight, his aura said otherwise. Okay, now I'm just going to be, just author's note. Uh, um, men have used that line on me in clubs and shit. I'm just saying. I've, I've heard that one before. Yeah, you may be straight, but your aura, your aura says otherwise. <laughs> What? Here, have another Red Bull and vodka. What you need is increased energy and lowered inhibitions. We came to a stop in front of my locker as I packed my books away. He smiled towards me, his eyes softening. This feeling was so foreign. It was new. Don't forget, tonight at seven, okay? He reminded me yet again. The bit was indeed set on taking me out. What baffled me was, why? Why would he ask out the nerd? Yes, Sultan, for the hundredth time, I won't forget. I exaggerated with a warm smile. The grin that was splayed on his face only got wider as he took my answer. Okay. He said, still smiling, <laughs> and it honestly melt my heart to see him smile like that. Okay, I'm going to head home now. Bye, Zoltan, I said, waving as I walked away from him. This was indeed weird. Why was I feeling this way? Was it when I was with him, my heart beats faster? Why do I feel nervous around him? <laughs> <laughs> What's really ironic is I'm going out on a do date with a boy I hated. What? Because I truly hated Zoltan. Always knowing things, although he never attended class. Always beating my grades, getting higher. That I truly hated about him, and I still do. But whenever I think about him, I can't help but let a smile overcome my pathetic face. <laughs> I got home, opened the door. The house stood open. I guess I'm alone. I walked upstairs to my bedroom, my shoes on the ground echoing throughout the empty house. I opened my bedroom door and flopped onto my bed. I looked at he ceiling. Zoltan. 
His name seemed to make an imprint on my mind. It was still quite early to get ready, so I decided to do my homework and study for a bit. But my mind kept drifting off. I couldn't focus. He was definitely a distraction. I kept glancing at the clock on my study table, just waiting for the time to speed up, for time for my date to come. Just thinking about a dare has me blushing. <laughs> I put my... Oh, the sex is going to be amazing when we finally get there. I don't even know if it's going to happen. It's just going to be one of those like, and the next day, I can feel it. I put my head on the table and I groaned. Might as well go to sleep then. I set an alarm for a few hours to get ready and flopped on my bed yet again. I closed my eyes and his face was imprinted on my mind. His ice blue eyes were what stood out the most. It was different, unique. My eyes began to droop. I began feeling tired. I let a town... I let out a town? I let out a town and turned on my side as I allowed it to overtake me. I have no idea what town could possibly be. Frown? I let out a frown, turned on my side, and allowed sleep to overtake me. Town. No, I got nothing. Like, sigh is the only word I can think of, but no part of that fits. Not a single, not a single letter. <laughs> My alarm rang and I groaned. I guess it's time to get ready. A sudden thought hit me. Why the hell did I agree to do this again? Rolling my eyes. That's the whole sentence. Rolling my eyes. I walked into the bathroom taking a shower. Once I was done and dressed, I F did my hair and slipped of a pair of black heels to math the black dress I was wearing. I know it sounds like I'm having a stroke, but that's what's written. I don't do makeup! So I put on a bit of gloss and eyeliner and grabbed my purse walking downstairs in the living room, waiting for the bell to ring in anxiousness. As soon as it did, I jumped and looked at myself in the mirror by the living room and walked open the door. Opening the door, I knocked the air out of me. Before me stood Zoltan. Dressed in a suit, of course, of course. His hair, st he's, he's 16 or 17 years old. So I'm just trying to imagine the 16-year-old werewolf showing up in like, in like a men's warehouse fucking... <laughs> and you know he's taking her out to some shitty fucking French restaurant. You just know it. Ah! Okay. <clears throat> Opening the door knocked the air out of me before me stood Zoldan. Dressed in a suit, his hair still matched up. His ice blue eyes staring at me. And to say he looked hot was an understatement. He looked beyond that. Wow, Victoria, you look so beautiful, he said, making my heart skip a beat. I stared at him like a lost case before getting my composure back. I thank you, and you don't look bad yourself, I said, as heat overcame my face. Well, uh, shall we? He asked, but what surprised me was, he was just as nervous as I was. Sure. I smiled. He intertwined our fingers and led me to his really expensive-looking car. He opened the door for me, and I said a soft thank you. Closing the door for me, he walked over to his side. 
The car roared to life and pulled out of the driveway, and soon we were off to a night worth remembering. I hope. Chapter 5 Disaster Date Part 1 The car ride was silent as we drove down the town. The place was usually quiet after dark, and it was something we've been accustomed to. So, where are we going? I questioned, trying to break the ice. A small smile overcame his face as he continued to look ahead. We're going on a date. He answered bluntly. I looked at him with a playful gaze. Ha ha, very funny. But no, I'm serious, Sultan. Where are we going? I questioned, I'm curious to where the handsomely devilish man was taking me. Out. It's a surprise, I think. He said, not sure of himself. I blew into laughter of his reply. The atmosphere became warmer and lighter. It almost felt as if it were meant to feel this way. Oh, some fucking sorority girl's got that tattooed on her face. Fucking just right above her ass. It almost felt as if it were meant to feel this way. Deep. That's deep. We soon faded back into silence as the car drive down the tarred street. <laughs> ah! I love it! Tarred streets! I Love it. Occasionally, occasionally, if you read a really great detective novel, somebody will say the asphalt, you know? So, this is some good writing. We now know the level of infrastructure the town has. I let my face close as I rolled down the window, letting the fresh air hot my face. Soon I felt a bit tired, so closed my eyes for a brief moment, only to see the gray, ice-blue eyes I had come to love. The eyes in my dream. They remind me if Zoltan, but this was different. These eyes didn't belong to him. They belonged to the wolf in my dreams, I think. Weird. I know. Soon I felt the car come to a stop. I opened my eyes. <laughs> what a shitty first date you are. I opened my eyes to see in front of a beautiful restaurant. I'm just, I'm so good. How did he have the money for this? He got out as I unbuckled my seatbelt. He rushed to my side, and before I could open the door, he opened the door for me. I smiled at him, thanking him, and stepping out, and he shut the door and locked the car. I looped my hands with his, and we walked into the restaurant. We cane infringement of a person as Zoltan began to speak. One more time. I'm going to read it as written. We cane infringement of a person as Zoltan began to speak. No, I'm just going to move on. I I want to make I want to make a broke down palace reference, but nobody knows what that is. So, cane infringement is a just for those two people who know what broke down palace is. There you go. Cane infringement, broke down palace. Enjoy. Reservation for a Zoltan Smith. He said in a hard voice. The Okay, sorry. I thought someone was calling out for reservation. Reservation for a Sultan Smith. He said in a hard voice, The man nodded quickly to us. The table planned for us. In a hurry. 
We'll come by shortly and collect your orders. The waitress said, with her head bowed a little, not being able to look Zoltan in the eye. I, girls, he intimidates everyone. The waitress left us alone as he looked at the menus. A hard stare. Sultan, why are you looking at the menus as if you're going to tear it apart? He looked up with me with furrowed brows. Hold on, I'm, I'm putting in, I'm putting the word that they just forced me to, f oh, that's right, you can't copy and paste. Fuck. <laughs> A hard stare. What? He questioned. You have this intimidating face. You could give everyone and everything. Even the menu, for example. I chuckled. I I didn't even notice. He said as he smiled towards me, making my heart melt. No, no, it's not anything bad. I just wanted you to know. But I guess you didn't even know. I smiled towards him. He chuckled and put down the menu. <laughs> the waitress walked back to our table. May I please have your orders? She questioned. She... We gave in what we wanted. <laughs> we gave in what we wanted, and she nodded and walked off, placing our drinks before us. So, tell me a little about yourself, Sultan. I asked as I leaned on the table with my elbows curiously. Well, there isn't much to tell about me. As you know, everyone refers to me as a bad, bad boy and delinquent. But I'm not any one of those. I'm just a normal person. People think I'm mute sometimes. Like, it's a disease. So they choose to avoid me. Not that it's a problem. But I wish people actually tried to get to know me. Girls flinging themselves at me. Don't they know I'm not interested? He said, letting out a sigh as he looked at the table for a moment. Let's forget about me. Let's talk about you. There's nothing about me you don't. I cut myself short as I watched a wolf with red eyes look directly at me. <laughs> Victoria is something the moon. He turned to look where I was looking and froze in mid-sentence. Shit, he cursed. He abruptly stood as the door of the restaurant opened and a man walked in. What the hell do you want? He asked the man. The man chuckled towards him and smiled. Alpha Zoltan Smith. Wonderful to see you. I have a message from my Alpha for you. He said, Alpha? Tell him to leave my land or face the consequences. He said in a voice. I froze. Zoltan was somehow different. Soon two men walked in and stood beside Zoltan. You're outnumbered. Leave at once, he growled out, just like the growl in the library. Is something wrong with him? The man chuckled as four men came in and then soon growled and circled Zoltan and the other two men. Too bad. Soon clothes were ripped. And before me, six wolves were against each other. Did they just turn into wolves? All right, guys, one more chapter. <laughs> chapter 6, Disaster Date, Part 2. 
There is a world beyond ours, one with mystical creatures and the unknown. There are those who look amongst us beings that aren't meant to exist, people we aren't meant to see. A pair of gray, blue iced eyes stare at me from a mile away. I can't tell what it is, but every time I move forward, it's as if I'm not moving. As if I am still. But this time it's real, and this time I see six wolves. This time I can move. This time I'm not still. <laughs> We, have, we understand the paralysis status. Yes, thank you. I was frozen in shock! <laughs> That's amazing! That's amazing! I have to read these five sentences again. These are two different paragraphs. I have to read these five paragraphs again. Or these five sentences again. Uh, it's as if I'm not moving. As if I am still, but this time it's real, and this time I see six wolves. This time I can move. This time I'm not still. I was frozen in shock. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. You could not do that if you tried. You could spend a decade trying to do that with great comedic timing and not fucking manage it. Leslie Nielsen couldn't fucking pull that fucking timing off. Oh my god, I've got such a smile on my face at that. It pretty much felt like I stopped breathing. My heart hammered against my chest. There were six wolves in front of me! Ah, ah, ah! Growling viciously at each other. The difference between Zoltan's wolves and the guy's wolves was their eyes. The man who had interrupted us had red wolf eyes, but Zoltan and his people, or wolves, had ordinary eyes. Honestly, they looked breathless, especially his wolf, a midnight wolf with gray ice blue eyes. They were the fairy-tailed Eilish meat, but have so little knowledge about them. Ah, yes, no matter how beautiful, how wonderful they are, I couldn't help but feel a little fear. <laughs> was, th was the purpose of Zoltan bringing me out here or taking me on a dare? Was it for him to kill me, make me a sacrifice, or was there more? Soon they stalled and lunged for one another. I looked around the restaurant to see no one with fear of werewolves. Could they be werewolves too? Would that explain why they look like they have so much faith in him? In Zoltan? Their alpha? Zoltan boy into their necks, making them howl in pain. They clawed each other and were at each other's throat. There was one man behind the glass door and no one seemed to notice. He smiled a cunning grin as his red eyes and specks of blue. He watched carefully bit by bit, movement by movement, watching every step. He looked up to see my eyes meeting his, and his smile faltered, and a smirk took over his face. His dark hair moved to the sides as his face twisted into that sadistic smile. 
You're doing it again, babe. He looked absolutely young, whereas the men who entered looked twice his age. Was he their leader? His lips formed into a snarl as he watched me intently. I didn't notice I was backing up. Soon, a hand touched my shoulder, startling me. I looked to see a young man with the most unique set of violet eyes I had ever seen looming back against the glass window. He was gone. He just vanished. No trace of him ever being there. I turned yet again to the young man as he spoke. Follow me, Luna. I have strict orders to take you to safety, he said. Luna? I think you're mistaking me for someone else. I'm not Luna. My name's Victoria. I corrected him. He seemed to be wanting to laugh as he covered his laugh with a cough. Yes, I mean Victoria. Alpha Zoltan has given me strict instructions to take you to a safe place before something happens to you. And please, don't argue. I don't want my head on a stick. He concluded with a shiver of fear. A. Zoltan Smith. Alpha Zoltan Smith. Bump, bump. Bum. Hesitantly, I nodded. He then grabbed my hand and ran out the restaurant door. He opened a car and led me to the passenger seat. Seated, he closed the door and headed to the driver's seat. I felt kind of lightheaded, as if I was going to pass out soon. I looked at the trees passing by as we drive in complete silence, and I couldn't wrap my head around Zoltan being a werewolf or even seeing the red-eyed man. Everything seemed too unrealistic. Everything seemed like a dream. My vision became hazy and blurry. As I felt my forehead starting to form sweat, I felt absolutely excruciated. A pounding on my head began to the car ride continued. My eyes began to feel troopy and my tummy churned. Shaking my head, I tried to keep my eyes open. The young man seemed to notice as he halted the car. Oh, please, no, 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 no. Don't pass out. He yelled, but it was a little too late. Oh, if he had only yelled it earlier. It was a little too late, and I was getting engulfed by darkness. And a set of gray ice-blue eyes seemed to comfort me. Was this all? Just a dream. We'll have to find out next week, Chapter 7. He's my mate. We get to find out why she's called Luna, what it means to be an alpha, and we get to find out what they were serving at the werewolf restaurant. I'm betting ribs. All right, everyone, that's a live show. Thank you all very much for coming out. Everybody who supports and sends in a tip, sends in a request, or just says hello, says that they like it, rates it on the fucking services and all the rest. Sorry, I said fucking for no good reason there. Know that I appreciate you. We'll do some serious smut next week as well if somebody sends it in. Uh, you've been very, very good about that. I'll do some serious and then leave it with some more werewolf next week. You've been very patient, very good. Keep sending in those requests. Keep on keeping on. And thank you very much for being one of the absolute best parts of my week. I do look forward to it. I hope you enjoyed the show. Yes, I am, in fact, feeling quite good and quite strong and all the rest. You guys telling me so much uh, does show me. It really does uh, 
<clears throat> it really does feel great, especially with just trying to keep all the plates spinning on the stick, everything in the air. We've had some real lousy weather. You can hear it tickling in my throat uh, just these last few weeks because it's so cold here. But again, uh, next week will definitely be warmer. Put on a little bit warmer of a show. We'll put in another dent of werewolf and all the rest. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Come on out. See you then.